This is the FCB Radio Network, home of the best personalities and where real talk lives. Online at FCBradio.com. FCB. They freed us all from tyranny. Risked everything for liberty. And they thought so we would be America, land of the Welcome back to the Growing Patriot Podcast, American History for Kids. I'm your host, Amelia Hamilton. We've been talking an awful lot about the Constitution, how it came to be, why, and what it means. Now, we're going to start talking about what's really in it. First, let's hear some questions from our friend Jacob. Hi. My name is Jacob. I'm six years old. I like Dunkin' Donuts, ice cream, and I'm from Fishers, Indiana. I have a question. Why was the preamble made? When was the preamble made? And what is the um, The common defense? Those are great questions. Now let's bring in an expert to answer them. Our guest this week is Timothy Sandifer. He's an attorney, and lawyers are very important for this because the Constitution is the law of the land. But he's also an author who's written a lot about the Constitution. So he's going to help us with the preamble, the very beginning of the Constitution, and what it means for us. So we, we've learned a little bit. We talked about the Articles of Confederation and how that sort of grew and it became a constitution, which is the next thing that we needed. Um, but So what is a preamble and why did we need one? Well, a preamble is sort of your opening statement of why you are saying what you are going to say, right? So, and, and most, most, most of the time you will do this without even thinking about it. You might start out by saying, I have something important to say about something. Well, that's a preamble. And so what the preamble of the U.S. Constitution does is it says, here's what we're going to do in the following pages. We're going to set up a, a constitution to run a government. And so it sets out the reasons for the constitution. So when you read the preamble, it explains why the constitution exists. And that helps you to understand how you should read the rest of the document. So if you were to start out uh, reading a, a story, for example, it might say, this is the story of how I learned to ride a horse, right? And then you're reading the story and it talks about horses and stuff. And, the, and you stop and you think, why am I reading this? The answer is because the story is telling you about how you learned to ride a horse, right? So that's what the preamble does. Is it, it guides you when you're understanding what it is that you're reading. It, it just sets out the groundwork for here's why we, we're going to talk about what we're talking about. Okay. And that makes sense because the constitution is long and it says an awful lot and it can be a lot to, a lot to think about. So it's nice to have that, that beginning that tells you what to expect. Right. It can be technical. I mean, the, the constitution is a law. And so, you know, law can be sometimes kind of hard to understand. And so the preamble is there to help you in understanding what it's all about in the, in the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So did, well, this was made at the same time as the constitution then, right? It all came out together. That's right. That's right. It was written by a committee. So the founding fathers got together in Philadelphia to write the constitution, took them a lot of, a, a lot of time, took them several months. 
And one of the things they did was they created a committee to put all of their ideas into nice sounding phrases so that they could read it. And that committee was called the Committee of Style. And the, the, the person in charge of that committee was a guy named Gouverneur Morris, who was kind of an interesting guy. He was, he was a real character. He, he, uh, he was a, um, uh, what they called a federalist. So that means that he believed in a very strong central government. He was, um, uh, he had a peg leg because he got it. He, he was run over by a carriage when he was younger. And so it cut off his leg. So he, he had a peg leg. And there's an old story that while he was at the convention, somebody dared him to walk up to George Washington and slap him on the back and say, how you doing, George? Which was, this is something that you didn't really want to do because George Washington was a very, very formal, very stern guy. George Washington was, you know, he was a general. He was very, he was the most famous man in America. You don't walk up to him and slap him on the back and say, how you doing, George? Well, Governor Morris apparently took the, the, the dare and walked up to George Washington and slapped him on the back and said, how you doing, George? And George Washington gave him a look that he said wanted to, made him want to sink to the floor. He felt so embarrassed of having done this. So that's just a little about jo uh, Governor yeah. Morris. So Governor Morris wrote, he, he's the one who actually took the pen and wrote out the preamble to the Constitution. All right, all right. Goodness, he does sound like quite a guy too. <laughs> so in that preamble, they talk about a few of the reasons they made the Constitution. They talk about a more perfect union to establish justice. And Jacob had a question about one of the specific things. What does it mean to provide for a common defense? So the common defense means the defense of the whole nation, right? As opposed to this, the defense of particular states. Mm -hmm. as, as you know, if you've talked about the Articles of Confederation, one of the reasons why they wrote the Constitution was because the previous system, the Articles of Confederation, did not really create a strong central government. So each state was more or less on its own. And so the states were doing different things. So they were basically, they were running their own, well, they were, they were thinking about running their own foreign policies. They didn't actually do that, but they were considering, you know, should we negotiate with foreign countries? Should we act like each state is an independent country? Should we have our own armies, our, you know, our own, uh, 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 tax systems and all these sorts of things all by themselves. Well, that's a real problem because, you know, look at Europe. Look at what, look at the countries of Europe. If you're the, in the, the founding fathers generation, you look back at Europe and it's filled with all these little tiny countries and they all hate each other and they're always going to war with each other and killing each other. And it's just been nonstop chaos in Europe for a long time. And the founding fathers did not want that in America. So they wanted the states to work together and not be at each other's throats all the time. So if they're going to engage in defense, if they're going to have their own armies and things, that's going to be very bad, right? New York's going to do one thing, but New Jersey's going to do a different thing, and Pennsylvania's going to do a different thing, and they've all got guns and armies, and you're on your way to having a situation like in Europe. So instead, what we want is a common defense. We want a single government that will be in charge of defending the country and have a federal military instead of having military at the state level. Now, we do still have some military things done at the state level because some of those some things have to be dealt with at the state level. So you have what we call now the National Guard, what the founding fathers called the militia. Mm -hmm. And those still exist at the state level. But all of it is organized by the federal government. The president is ultimately in charge of the of the defense of the entire country. So the common defense means putting all the military authority and things under a single 
national leadership instead of letting each state do it by itself. Okay. And one of my favorite things in the preamble is that phrase that they're looking to form a more perfect union. They don't say perfect, they say more perfect. It's going to be something better than what we had before. Right. So do you think that they understood that, you know, people aren't perfect and certainly governments aren't perfect, but they could do they could do their best and you know, I like the idea that it's kind of forward looking, you know, we can always keep trying to do better. Oh, absolutely. And of course, that's why the Constitution can be amended mm -hmm. is because they knew that it wasn't a perfect Constitution. And everybody who was involved in writing it came away for when they were done, they walked away and said, you know what, it's not perfect, but it's really good. And we should we should do this. And Ben Franklin, very famously at, at the on the last day of the convention, when he was talking about whether he should sign it or not, he said, he said, I, it's not perfect, but it's I think it's the best we can do. And it's a really great uh, improvement on what we currently have. And so therefore, I'm going to sign it. Well, also, the, that phrase, a more perfect union, you're right, it's important that they don't say it's a perfect union, they say it's a more perfect union. Mm -hmm. um, and so they anticipate that we could improve in the future. But what's also really important about that phrase is that the it what it means is the Constitution does not create the union. It's not it does not say we are forming a union. It says we're forming a better union. So there's already a union in place. Right. And the Constitution is just improving on it. So when you go back and you look at the Articles of Confederation, the Articles of Confederation are the, actually the full title is the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union. So the, the Articles of Confederation already says that there's a union, and that's before the Constitution. Where does that union come from? Now, what we're talking about, remember, is we're talking about the union of the states. Where does the union of the states come from? The answer to that is the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. If you read the Declaration of Independence, it says these united colonies are free and independent states. Mm -hmm. The very first line of the, of the Declaration of Independence is the unanimous declaration of the 13 united states of america so the nation declared its independence from britain in 1776 as a union as a single entity and then they wrote the articles of confederation to try and clarify what that union meant and then they wrote the constitution to make that union even better but the constitution does not create the union the union was created 11 years earlier in 1776 when the nation declared its independence now that might sound like kind of a technical kind of the only thing this sort of only thing that the, a lawyer could love right <laughs> but in fact that became very important in the 1860s when you had some states saying that they had the right to secede from the union and that's of course what started the civil war and they said well you know we're we the states we we southern states each state is on its own we're basically independent anyway we can do what we want and Abraham Lincoln said, no, the union was created in 1776 when this nation declared its, itself independent. So even if you did try to, to do something to the Constitution, you can't undo the union of the states. The union of the states is basically the same thing as our national independence. It runs much deeper even than the Constitution itself. And so that played a, an important part, a, an important role in what led up to the Civil War was what is what is the union of the states? When did it start? What? How did it start? And the answer is it started when we declared independence from Great Britain long before the U.S. Constitution was written. Well, yeah. 10 years, 10 years before. <laughs> sure. Well, but gosh, a lot happened in that 10 years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, with things like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, 
you know, people had never seen anything like this before. People were used to a monarchy, of course, with yep. the king. Right. What do you think people would have thought, or maybe as a historian, you have some examples of what people thought when they saw this. They probably read the preamble, you know, that gave them an idea of what they were going to see. And I would imagine they couldn't couldn't believe that there was something like this being created. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people by that time, they were they were really worried about the the direction the country was headed in, right? That what you had was under the Articles of Confederation, as I mentioned, the states were basically doing, each one was doing its own thing. And so they were starting to fight. And anybody, you know, it, it, all the politicians, the, the political thinkers, people like James Madison, Alexander Hamilton and, and, and George Washington, the others, they were saying, my goodness, what's going to happen in the next 10 or 20 years if we don't act now and stop this conflict from getting worse? Because, um, you know, we're going to end up with, like I said, something like Europe. And so they were very proud when they came away from the US, from the Constitutional Convention of what they had written, because these really everybody knew these were the smartest political people in the country. Mm -hmm. And they had put together something that, as we said, it's not perfect, but it was a huge improvement. And I think there was widespread recognition that that was a great deal. Now, there was a lot of opposition to the U.S. Constitution. Also, there was a lot of suspicion. After all, we're talking about people who had just fought a revolutionary war against a powerful king. And now they're being asked to create a powerful central government with a powerful president. And they're worried. They're like, well, how do we know that that's not going to just turn into a king mm -hmm. over time? Right. And so there was a lot of resistance to that, including some very famous people. Patrick Henry was opposed to the U.S. Constitution for that reason. George Mason, who is one of the most respected political leaders in the country, was opposed to the Constitution for that reason. So there were a lot of people who were really worried about what the Constitution meant if it were adopted. Would it just create a new monarchy? Would it take power away from their state legislatures? That's important because, you know, I have a lot of say as a voter. I have a lot of say about what goes on in my state capitol building. But I do not have a lot of say about what goes on in Washington, D.C. I can vote for my congressman, sure. But there's lots and lots of other people voting for my congressman. And he lives 3,000 miles away. And, and a senator? I mean, there's no way I'm going to get on the phone and call a senator. But I personally know several people who are members of my state legislature. So the idea of giving power to, to the federal government and taking it away from the states really worried people because they thought that would be a, a loss of democratic control over the government. So... There was a lot of nervousness, but overall, I think the general recognition was that this was a really marvelously written document, tailor-made for America. It would never have worked in any other country. Mm -hmm. It was designed with existing American institutions in mind. And that's that it was really a remarkable thing. And that's what, one reason why it's lasted so long and why Americans have cherished it for such a long time. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that there was disagreement because I think that's really important um, you know, this wasn't just a bunch of people sitting in a room who all agreed with each other, but right. they had to give and take a little bit. It was sort of like that separation of powers kind of idea a little bit, um, you know, to come up with something that they could all agree on from different points of view. Yeah. And now it is it is important to say these these people did agree on a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. They did. You didn't have the, the Constitutional Convention was not a bunch of people who disagreed about fundamental ideas. Right. It was these were people who had been through the Revolutionary War together. They had been through the Articles of Confederation together. They had known each other for a long time and they agreed 
on fundamental ideas. What I mean by that is they agreed that all men are created equal, that government exists to protect individual rights, that we have the right to overthrow the government if it becomes a tyranny, that we have uh, the right to vote for who leads us and that, that other people don't have the right to run our lives for us, that, that there shouldn't be kings and things like that. They agreed on all that stuff. What they disagreed about was the details. So they disagreed about like, how much power should the states have when it comes to something like making, like printing money, right? Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a technical detail and it's an important one, an incredibly important one. Yeah. And they did disagree on stuff like that. But on the fundamentals, they agreed. I think that's very different than what we see in today's world. In today's world, you find a lot of people who disagree about fundamental ideas. They do not think, some, some people do not think that the constitution is really a fundamentally good idea. There's a lot of people who think that we should dramatically change how our government operates today. And you really didn't have that 200 years ago. So today's world is, is in some important ways, very different from the world that they lived in. Yeah. Well, as we dig into those fundamental um, ideas of the constitution over the next few episodes here, what is the most important thing that you think that kids should keep in mind learning about the, the Constitution? Well, the most important part of the preamble is a part that we haven't mentioned yet. Mm -hmm. um, now, most people, when they look at the Constitution, they see those big three words, we the people, at the beginning of the Constitution. They say, wow, that's really neat. First of all, it's really beautiful, beautifully mm -hmm. written and everything. It looks really dramatic. And they say, well, this shows that the Founding Fathers really cared about democracy. And that's actually not correct. That's actually a confusion. The important part of that first sentence where it says, we the people is, it says, we the people of the United States. That's the important part of that phrase. We the people of the United States. Who are the people of the United States? That's all Americans, right? Now that's very different. When you look at the Articles of Confederation, it starts out, it's opening lines. It says, we the representatives of the states of New York, New Jersey, South Carolina, Rhode Island. It lists each state by name. And so that is a group of in relatively independent states and they come together and they, it's like a treaty. If we made a treaty with Mexico, it would say the, the representatives of the United States and the representatives of Mexico get together and they agree the fault. That's how the Articles of Confederation starts. That's not what the Constitution says. It says we, the people of the United States. And that means we are a nation. We're not a group of independent states. Mm -hmm. But even that phrase is not the most important phrase in the, in the preamble of the Constitution. The most important phrase in the preamble of the Constitution comes toward the end when it talks about the blessings of liberty. It says the Constitution exists to preserve the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. Posterity means our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. So what the founding fathers say in the, in the preamble is liberty is a blessing. It's the only time the word blessing appears in the Constitution, and it's the only time the Constitution says something is really good and important in that way. So they don't say democracy is a blessing. They don't say government is a blessing. They say liberty is a blessing. And then if you read the rest of the Constitution, what it does is it puts all these limits and restrictions and rules on what the government can do. So why is it limiting and restricting what the government can do? The answer is to preserve the blessings of liberty. 
The reason I, I say that's the most important phrase in the preamble is because a lot of the time we get confused about what the Constitution exists to do. Some people, you'll, you'll sometimes hear people say the Constitution exists to, to give the government power. Well, that's kind of true, but what, what the Constitution really does is it exists to protect our liberty and to let the government operate, but only as long as it respects our liberty. So the blessings of liberty is a really important phrase because it's telling us that the Constitution exists in order to protect certain important things. And the most important of all of those things is liberty. That is an excellent, excellent point. It's, it's definitely the key to all of it. And I'm excited to explore that as we look at the, at the different ideas of the Constitution, the different values as we move forward. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Growing Patriots. And you can find the podcast and the books at growingpatriots.com. Can't wait to see you over the next few episodes as we really dig into the Constitution. They freed us all from tyranny. We stand for liberty. And they fought so we would be. America, land of the free. Distributed by FCB Radio Network.